Welcome to Hire It Advisor, the Baker Tilly podcast dedicated to providing insightful guidance and leading practices for college, university, and research institution leaders and board members, experts and thought leaders in higher education finance, institutional operations, collegiate athletics and esports, health and wellness, data analytics, and more. Join our podcast host, higher education practice leader Dave Capitano for bi-weekly episodes to discuss the latest news in higher education and the impact these trends and changes have on the industry. This is where you come to learn what's really going on behind the scenes at colleges and universities across the country. Welcome to our Higher Ed Advisor podcast series, where we discuss significant issues and opportunities facing higher education and explore strategic solutions to help colleges and universities address challenges and achieve their mission. I'm Dave Capitano, the higher education practice leader here at Baker Tilly. Earlier, I had the pleasure of talking with Richard Turnquist, Director of Analytics for Athletics at the University of Pittsburgh, and our returning guest speaker, Ryan Varley, Associate Athletic Director of Business Services, also at Pitt. In this podcast, we'll be talking about how a robust data analytics program can help support not only the business side of an institution's athletic program, but also the sports side. We also discuss how any sized institution can develop an effective data analytics program. Here's how the conversation went. So Richard, tell us a little more about what the role of director of analytics looks like at the University of Pittsburgh. Sure. So Director of Analytics for Athletics at Pitt is a new position for us. And that's as of this past October. And really across the country, there's only a handful of us who have that title. A lot of people work in a a similar capacity in some ways, but I'm blessed to kind of have that role turned over to me at Pitt, have a chance to lead this. So my main focus right now, because it's a new position, we have to more or less define what are the foundations, what are the boundaries of what we're going to do with this analytics program. So a lot of what I've been doing over the last few months is trying to identify what our data sources are, what do we want to classify as data assets, and just ensuring we have all of those things in place so we can really make some things happen strategy-wise down the line for the other departments. And that's a real problem for us. So that's our main focus because, you know, if we don't understand what assets we have and in what shape they're in, we're not going to be able to do a lot with the data, even though we might be accumulating a lot. So Richard, that's interesting the way you phrase or I guess use the word assets in, in reference to data. So help our listeners understand a little bit more about you know, what sort of assets slash data we're talking about. Is this internal information, external information? Yeah, yeah, it's really a little bit of both. Mainly for us right now, largely it's internal data. You can certainly have external data and many companies, many colleges, you know, do take some external data and append it to their customer data, for example, just to enrich really what knowledge they have to kind of interpret and make analyses off of. But for us, largely focusing on internal data and making sure that's in good shape, want to make sure our foundations are good before we start trying to append other information to it. Richard, when you refer to foundations, my understanding there's probably a variety of different sources in which this data is coming from, just even internally, you know, different databases, different departments, you know, different, probably even different software. So 
you know, you're pulling this from alumni files, you're pulling ticket sales, you're, you're pulling together information for the NCA reporting. I mean, I gotta believe that that is part of making sure that infrastructure is sound, trying to bring all those sources together. Yeah, exactly. That's the primary challenge right now. Right now, Just as you said, lots of different systems out there. And when we're implementing those systems, we often didn't think about how they integrated or how they were going to talk to each other. Now that we have the ability to integrate those, and especially from a data perspective, we want to make sure we do that. So the main challenge we're trying to tackle right now, trying to get a 360 view of our constituents. And that's everything from a CRM to financial data, merchandise, social media even, if you're able to identify those folks and really bringing that all together into one view. If you're not able to do that, you know, we end up with these segments and silos and that's not good for a business. We want to make sure our, our merchandise department has a holistic view of who's buying merch, but also who the potential people are who could buy merch that might be buying tickets or that might be donating to us because those are our prospects. It all lives under one roof, but we got to make sure everybody has what they need to do the best job they can. So same thing you mentioned, software, data types as well, big issue. Everything is not the same in the analytics world. You have a myriad of choices to choose from, Excel files, you know, whether you go with AWS or Snowflake or a Microsoft Azure platform, really a whole landscape there of things to choose from. It's just about making sure that it's all integrated in whatever strategy you take to make sure that you have the whole perspective and everything's comprehensive. This sounds overwhelming and it sounds very complex and it sounds like it's a labor intensive. So tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, they're all getting scared right now. They're thinking to themselves, holy moly, how am I going to do this? So tell us the listeners a little bit about the size of your department, what your team looks like and are you doing this all in-house? Are you, you you're outsourcing some of it? Give us a little scope of the, the workforce behind all this. Sure. So for us at Pitt right now, it's in-house. As part of this position, I was involved in an integration between athletics and the Pitt IT team on campus. So my analytics teammates is about a team of around 10. And that's everybody from a data analyst, people who are specialized in visualization or data engineers, we call them and even a data scientist. My particular specialty is on data visualization, but I need a little bit of all of those different trades to get this type of project done. So largely I'm working on this independently at the moment, but believe me, I'm leveraging the knowledge and skill set of my teammates to make sure we're doing a good job. Excellent, excellent. So, so Ryan, switching over to you, as I mentioned in our introduction, you're a repeat guest on the podcast here. Our last episode with our conversation was well received by listeners. So just remind everyone about your background a little bit and really curious for you to talk a little bit about how the analytics department is part of the, the way you've been leveraging that data as part of your roles and responsibilities. Thanks so much for having me back. Great to be back with you and uh, really look forward to this topic because it's one of the uh, most exciting, I think, that we're that I personally get to deal with right now. Uh, but from my perspective, I am the Associate Athletic Director of Business Services, oversee our budget, financial reporting, accounts payable, purchasing, student-athlete medical, and travel management. And sort of as Richard alluded to earlier, he now works for our PIT IT department and was part of an integration effort between the athletic department and PIT IT 
but as part of my role, I also sort of serve as a liaison between Richard and our athletic department as well, as well as Pitt IT with respect to the data space. So this field in general is something, you know, Richard hit on it earlier. The university has a great deal of data. What we need to do is actually make it into a usable form of data so that we can make informed business decisions. And that includes both on the revenue side of our ledger, as well as the expense side of the ledger. The project Richard alluded to earlier, the constituent profile project, where he's he's attempting to get a 360 view of our customer base. Well, basically the idea there, we're talking about trying to you know gain efficiencies throughout our department by having a holistic view of what our customers are doing. Let's not live in the merchandise and licensing silo and the ticketing silo and the donor silo. Let's look at this as an overarching consumer so that we can make informed strategic decisions revenue-wise on who we want to target, what upsell opportunities do we want to pursue, and how do we want to concentrate our resources. So then you start talking about the expense side, right? And as opposed to employing a blanket approach to your entire donor base, can we get more targeted, more strategic, and utilize those same funds, but deploy them in a more effective manner? So the access to good data is what we need, and consolidated data, and data that is in the form that it positions folks to make decisions so that they can best leverage their resources. That's where my interest in this space lies. And that's where I think our department's interest in this space lies and why the work that Richard's been doing while in its infancy to some extent has already been tremendously helpful. Ryan, that's very helpful for us to understand how the two departments are working together. So I'd like to explore that a little bit more, particularly around maybe how the insight that Richard's team is providing to you and your team and how that's helping you really maybe give me some examples of how this, how you're thinking differently about how you're making decisions and, and how that, that those decisions are kind of interacting with your external customer base. It's a really good question, Dave. And what I would say it has changed our way of thinking in a number of respects, because now whenever we're, pursuing a new vendor type of an agreement, or you know, we're looking at a new potential partnership. One of the first questions that we ask, and oftentimes in my role, because I'm asked to sign off on a lot of these things, is I'll actually kick it to Richard and say, hey, is this, does this help you? And if it does help you and helps us gain access to some level of information, how do we tweak the contract? How do we tweak the agreement to ensure that we're able to capitalize on that information? That's been one space. It's, it's allowed us to think maybe a little bit differently about how we can employ those kinds of things. As it relates to decision-making, you know, I think the biggest piece that I can really see us taking advantage of, Dave, is actually moving forward. You know, This past year, if it has been one of the most unique for all of us, right? And I think one of the pieces that is very difficult for my chair, business and budget-wise, is what are sporting events going to look like from here on forward? So quite frankly, I am very interested in knowing how the data space can help us understand consumer behavior in this new world. But we need to ensure that Richard's infrastructure is in place so that we can capitalize on that. Because we're in the infancy of this program, I can't necessarily say that we've been able to leverage all of his insights to their fullest extent and capability, 
but I think the work he's doing will hopefully allow us to be able to build off that as we move forward. What I will say, though, is of the pieces we've been exposed to, and really some of Richard's best work so far has been um, focused on our general ledger data, it has made my life so much easier as the business manager, and it's made the lives of our coaches a lot easier as well. He's developed a state-of-the-art sort of budget dashboard that takes the coding of the ledger and maps it onto fields that are more easily understood. You know, now we don't have coaches that are needing to understand what this code means and what it translates to. He actually has already done that translation. Our coaches can now say, okay, this code means recruiting. Where do I stand with respect to recruiting? Very easy user interface that's friendly for them to see. But the tool also has the backend insights where, from my perspective, if I want to dive deep into data and really begin to analyze it, I now have information at my fingertips that I never had before. Just to give you an example, working on a report for our athletic director, actually, that she has tasked me with sort of a, a five-year study of, of certain elements of our operation, I actually went to Richard yesterday, and because he had the data infrastructure in place, you know, as opposed to looking at five years of spreadsheets that I had already done from a historical standpoint, Richard's workflow, he was able to get me a report of this information with all the five years sort of con already consolidated. So things of that nature, like we've, ex we've done and garnered some efficiencies on the business end of things, but as we look forward to revenue generation, how events look, that's where I really think we're going to gain the most value from the insights he can lend. So, so Richard, it sounds like you've come a long way in a short time with regards to building out the department and, you know, building out the, the different, I guess, expectations of working together with, with Ryan and, and his group. I guess I'm a little bit curious because you are relatively new in this journey. I mean, are you just winging this? Are you just making things up at night? Do you have a group of people that are kind of you can bounce things off of. I know, you know, tell me a little bit about how this all comes together because I got to imagine that, that there's some things that you're just kind of inventing on the fly here. Well, if you would have asked me that, you know, three or four years ago, I would have said, we're definitely winging it. Um, <laughs> but at this point, no, no, we have a, actually a pretty good, albeit relatively small, a nice core group of people who do this type of work around the country. You know, like I mentioned, there's only a handful of us that really have analytics director or analytics anything in their title. But, you know, a lot of schools, they have their person or their couple of people who whenever there's an analytics or data question, they go to. So, you know, when I started on this journey of trying to get into analytics, I was traditionally on the on the business side. What, what I did was I, I reached out to anyone I could find, staff directories, anybody who had analytics in their title. At that time, I was very much into um, becoming a Tableau developer. So I was looking for people who were trying to do the same. I found a handful. We started to have monthly user groups and that grew from a, you know, a group of six, I believe it was at the time, to my monthly call that we had hosted got up to a mailing list of 250 folks across 100 or so institutions on the mailing list before I eventually retired that. We're working on a a formal organization now. A lot of you know my peers in other departments for athletics have kind of a, a professional organization that they can look to. We're a little different analytics-wise. New new idea, especially for college athletics, a little more advanced and mature on the pro side. But college athletics in particular, 
doesn't have one right now. We have one that we're calling CAP, College Athletics Analytics Professionals. And a lot of those folks from my early mailing list, which was just us trading notes on a monthly basis, have come over to that. So we're excited to kind of get that incorporated and up and launched um, here soon. But I expect that wholeheartedly to grow, especially as uh, sports folks become more comfortable with, you know, not being turned off by what a challenge it, it appears to be. And we get more comfortable with the terminology, how the systems work, understanding that we can really do this on our own without seeking a vendor. I, I expect, you know, we're going to have a, a lot more folks come to that community um, looking for resources. So relatively small, but it's still a great presence right now. If you don't mind, if I can just add, interject to, as it relates internally to Pitt, Richard spoke about the infrastructure that the university as a whole has in place. And again, him being an, an employee of the university's IT department allows him to sort of capitalize on some of the tools and resources that the, the institution already has. You know, we've also spent a great deal of time developing what our roadmap's going to be like as well. So, you know, Richard's ability to ex extract that information from professionals across the country, the knowledge that already existed on our campus, and then the uh, understanding that Richard had of our uh, own operations and sort of, we went through an exercise of, uh, as Richard alluded to, understanding what our assets were, but then prioritizing projects as well and shaping the direction of the analytics department. Like, as you've alluded to, Dave, he's one person, right? And, you know, can't be, can't service everyone at one time. So we had to determine a set of priorities and a strategy and communicate that strategy to folks too, so that they understood sort of what Richard's priorities were going to be. So, you know, there's been a lot of things as, it re as related to infrastructure, and there's been multiple parties involved to help us get where we're at. So, you know, at first, yeah, certainly it was winging it, but these multiple layers that we've introduced have really helped us establish, I think, a fairly good structure that certainly needs continued refinement, but has been a good tool for us thus far. Yeah, excellent point, Ryan. I, I can certainly see the point around setting expectations around the time and the energy that it takes to, to get some of this information. I know firsthand from working with our digital team here at Baker Tilly that you know, once they produce something for us, we want more and we want more and we want more and we want a fancier and fancier and we want more graphs and more colors and more information. We, we are just customers that love to consume information. So I certainly understand that. And Richard, back to your point on CAP, I would expect that we're going to have at least 100 more listeners to this broadcast based on that membership list. So we'll keep, uh, we'll make sure that those members get access to this uh, interview because I know they'll be excited for the shout out. All right, so uh, we know about the resources, we know about the, the team that you have, we, we hear a little bit about your, your network of individuals. Tell me a little bit about the technology. You, you rattled off a few platforms earlier on, but I'm really curious about what's out there helping you kind of build some of these dashboards. I mean, I expect some of it's built internally, but I also understand there's a lot of, of uh, off-the-shelf software that you could buy that's being publicized for this space. So give the listeners a little bit about the insight on the technology platforms that are out there. Yeah, yeah. Just as you mentioned, a lot of technology partners in this space who've been doing really good work for college athletics in particular. And I'd say that's not necessarily a bad thing for our industry to be largely, you know, vendor dependent in the analytics space. 
But we have to understand that we need to prop up the internal knowledge as well and not always rely so directly uh, on some of those vendors. So, you know, I, I won't name any, but a lot of them out there are doing some really good stuff. And I would just ask, you know, if you're an athletic director, if you're responsible for some of the departments who, who work with a lot of these vendors, just ask what you're doing to develop your own internal team and, and making sure that, you know, are you making full use of that partnership? You, you could go out and find a vendor to do exactly what, you know, we were talking about doing with the constituent profile, who frankly will do a, probably as good a job. But, you know, what does that mean for your implementation? Do you just get the results and then kind of never leverage them? Um, does your team a couple of years down the line not have any context or not know how to use that tool or, or that set of tools that were developed for you? It can be daunting getting into this world, but even if you do decide to go with, with a vendor partner for any one of these different types of projects, um, make sure you have a plan uh, to bring your team along with it and, and bring them up so you can make full use of it. So Ryan, that, that's an interesting subject matter for our listeners regarding the investment, I'll call it, into the internal and external resources necessary to kind of gain some of these, you know, some of the positives that you mentioned regarding having a department like this that helps you make these educated decisions. So I'm, I'm just curious from your point of view, you know, you're looking at what you've done at the University of Pittsburgh, you know, what type of advice would you have for a smaller school, maybe a division three school that doesn't have the resources and, you know, how can they pull some of these benefits into their platforms? Yeah, and, and I would say that it's not necessarily a message that is exclusive to smaller resource schools because it's funny, we're actually looking at, we're all on college campuses, right? Whether we're big school or small school. And on college campuses, there are incredible amounts of resource, untapped resources, those being students. We have actually, one thing Richard and I have been looking into has been how can we partner potentially with our business school, right? And maybe be able to provide Richard with some additional support while also providing students with invaluable work experience. So the potential of being able to leverage your, your students is just such a tremendous resource and it's mutually beneficial because for them to be able to gain that type of experience, for them to be able to have those deliverables that they can speak about in an interview and take their next steps in their career, that's something that we as an industry could do a better job taking advantage of. So I would just, and you know, our talks are continuing to progress. It's nothing's finalized yet, but we certainly see that as a space where we can service a need too, but in a way that, gosh, I mean, what a great way to connect with other departments on campus, other students, so that's sort of one piece of advice I would give. And to Richard's point, you know, we've been able to begin our analytics program and develop it in a fairly, what I would say, cost-effective manner. And it is because that internal development piece that, that Richard's spoken to. For, we're, we're very blessed that our university had an infrastructure in place that allowed us to take advantage of such a structure. But being able to develop people, being able to develop things um, internally, has allowed us to, to proceed in that way. Um, and we're looking to expand upon that with student support. Ryan, I love the focus on student success as part of the overall strategy. I mean, that is so key in today's competitive environment, never losing the fact that everything we're doing right now as a university is really with the end goal of making sure our students are as successful as possible. So I love that uh, focus. 
Richard, all that was really interesting. I love the business aspect of, of the data play. I think that's fascinating to our listeners. But this part of the conversation is the one that I'm really interested in, and that is the sports science side of it and how you're actually helping the coaches and the student athletes be more successful in and off the field with regards to some of the information you're helping them interpret and make decisions around. So could you tell the listeners a little bit about that aspect of it? So sports science for us is largely new as well. Um, and just like Ryan said, we've made a partnership with um, one of the schools on campus, School of Health and Rehab Sciences, offers us a number of masters and PhD students to assist and work directly with our strength and conditioning teams, for example, and with our teams just in general to help them make use of, you know, a lot of the technology that we have on that side. For us personally, and not in the sport world, we're used to wearables, for example, Apple Watch, Whoop, uh, Fitbit, very similar thing on the strength and conditioning side, but more applied to, you know, the particular type of training they, they might be doing. So when they're working with barbells in the weight room, for example, they're putting tethers on there so we can measure how quickly the, the weight is moving up. And, you know, the combine wasn't too long ago, so you can see how important some of that work is. But, you know, a very similar problem to the revenue side, actually. So we have our subject matter experts, those people working to become uh, sports scientists uh, who really know how to take the data and, and put it into a strategy so that we can become better off of that. But they're challenged with the same type of thing where they've got 12 to 15 different types of these devices, all from different vendors, different companies, all that spit out different things. You know, we might be getting Excel files out of one. We might get emails from another. You might have to run a run an API call and get JSON data out of the third one. It's all kind of messy. So, you know, thinking about those students again, want to make sure that they do have the subject matter expertise, but we don't want to waste time with them, you know, cleaning up Excel files. You know, we have a limited amount of time and resources for those folks. I want them focusing on, hey, here's the information, analyze it and tell us how we can make better use of some of these devices and maybe fix our training. One such use case I'll just give an example of is, you know, maybe maybe our teams have been going too hard in practice. We have some of these devices to, to be able to tell us some of that stuff. If we're able to analyze and say, you know, this particular athlete is in this position group uh, and has maybe met a certain threshold that we define as kind of overexertion, we might want to back them off. And kind of without that knowledge, you're, you're just looking at them and going, well, he said he's fine. So maybe we run them again today. Having this information so we can make kind of factual decisions is really important. And we have the tools right now. We just need to make sure we're making use of all the information we have available to us. All right. So tell me a little bit about the privacy issues that go along with collecting all that information and how you're handling that. Yeah. So with that, you know, we're, we're getting to HIPAA territory. So uh, certainly a concern for us, you know, what, how does this blend in with student athlete medical information, which is certainly HIPAA protected, can only be seen by a certain group of people. You know, how, how do we treat this other information that is, is sort of tangentially related to that? So we're just being really mindful about who's in those access groups. I myself have gone through the university's HIPAA training. You know, we need to make sure that we're being mindful of our data governance, who's in what access groups, and how are we deploying that information down the line? Um, because we do want to be protected of, of those things. So 
some of those things can kind of be mitigated through other means as well. An example is maybe you can publish sort of aggregate totals for a certain population that needs to see it. Uh, so you're not showing individual results. But, you know, a, a team average, for example, over time is a good example. Well, thinking about that exertion metric we were talking about. So you, you can, you know, be thoughtful of it without sharing the whole data set to just anybody who requests it. So. Okay, Ryan, Richard, uh, up to this point, we talked about, you know, the information that's helping us on, I'll call it the operational side. We talked about the sports medicine side. You know, what else is this data helping us with with regards to helping uh, move the strategy of the university? Richard? Yeah, so there, there's a few things on the administration side. So we mentioned revenue, sports science, that third pillar for us, administration. Ryan mentioned some of the, the benefits we've kind of had out of the gates with our financial data, but even something like our student athlete um, experience survey is a really great example. Surveys from an analytics perspective, kind of one of those foundational things that we're used to working with, but some of the survey tools that you might be familiar with and surveys that you've administered yourself, the data doesn't always come back in a nice form. You know, especially if you, if you try to download that file that comes along with it, I'm sure you'll you'll get some interesting results sometimes. So what we're doing for our sport administrators who administer that survey is taking that information that before they were reliant on whatever tool they used to deploy it, we're taking that, transforming the data to get it in better shape, and then we're publishing it in a Tableau dashboard that um, it's been one of my more successful projects. They really seem to like the results there. So now we're looking at multiple years across different populations, and they can see all of the questions and how a team might have responded year over year, are we improving on a certain question? Um, a lot of those are, you know, what their experience is about. So we want to make sure that, you know, if somebody's not having a good experience from a certain population, we want to make sure we address that before it was a little difficult to do that. As you can imagine, folders and folders of Excel results or whatever it might be, now it's all comprehensive. So that's, I think, another good application for analytics. All right, Ryan. One of the downsides, if there's a downsize to being on this podcast, is the fact that once we drop this one, your phone's going to be ringing. They're going to be like, okay, Ryan, I, I need to do this at my school. Help, help me set up a data analytic program for my athletic department. I mean, how do, how do, you, how do you answer that phone call and walk them through it? It's a great question, Dave. And I do see analytics as being something that is going to become a standard within intercollegiate athletics departments over the course of the next decade. I do see us evolving that way. Everything has a data piece to it, especially, you know, with everything moving electronic as well, we have to be prepared to manage the, the data that we have. And, you know, so to answer that call most effectively, I would say you need to have an infrastructure in place in order for a program like this to be effective. And it starts with the data itself. You know, you can have the greatest analyst in the world, but if they don't have good data at their fingertips, they're not going to be very effective. So that is the foundational piece, I think, to anything that we do. And I think that from a Richard standpoint has been, you know, whenever he has good data, the output that he can provide is tremendous. But getting to the point where we have good data and we can begin to analyze it and begin to develop the output, that is a laborious process. So it starts on each campus with making sure that your, 
your systems and that your data itself is in tremendous working order. And then really it's also about obtaining a shared commitment to data, right? So I think you, you certainly have differences amongst folks on campus and what their buy-in as it relates to data might be. So, you know, that shared commitment needs to permeate all areas of your operation for it to be effective as well. Because again, for the input and the data itself to be good, there needs to be buy-in, right? People need to understand why it's important that this data is good. So, you know, it starts with those basic infrastructure elements. I think even before you get yourself tremendous analysts or tremendous uh, data scientists, you know, they're only as good as the information that they're provided. So that would be my guidance to anyone as they're looking to do this. You can have high-tech tools, you can have pay, throw a bunch of money at people, but until you have that commitment and until you have the data, underlying data in a great place, you're limited in how much you can accomplish in the space. Richard, anything to add to that? You know, I, I would just add that similar to what Ryan's saying, think about data across, you know, the entirety of your department from one end to the other. Um, Ryan mentioned it, but, you know, bad data going in is bad analysis going out. Be mindful of that. Be open to how your business processes might affect kind of those pipelines. And as well, I know I mentioned it a little bit before, but just be open um, yourself, even in a, in a management or a senior leadership role, be open to trying to picking up some of the concepts so that you can kind of meet, meet folks like me in the middle. So we're all talking about the same thing. Although though it's, it's difficult for a lot of folks to pick up, uh, I'm confident that everybody can do it to a certain extent. So, uh, and that'll make everything a lot better once we're, we're speaking the same language as well. Ryan, you mentioned buy-in and commitment from the larger population. And I expect with any new um, investment in an area like this, that there is some somebody we need to go to, some a knock on the door and say, hey, I need a little budget money here and I need to get this started. And and oftentimes we need some short, you know, short-term wins, some low-hanging fruit that we could point to for why it makes sense to take that first step. So could you give our listeners uh, any examples of you know some of those short-term low-hanging fruit wins that you experienced? Yeah, and there's a lot that went into how this evolved here at Pitt. I'm going to give a little bit of backstory, but Richard alluded to an integration with our with our Pitt IT department. That was a foundational piece to allowing us to move forward with this program. So just that uh, un that university commitment to you know, making sure that we were not, again, we weren't operating in silos, that we were actually integrating our operations, as opposed to having each unit have its own IT department. There was actually a collaboration that was taking place so that there could be, so that we could capitalize on the data that we all had access to, but weren't necessarily sharing, right? So, you know, that was a big piece and a foundational element to this. As it relates to, to quick wins, quite honestly, I, I hate to say it, some of the things that led to this gaining some steam and some traction was actually the simple fact that our data was not good, Dave. There were instances in which maybe you step into it a little bit with a donor. For instance, someone at the university called donor XYZ, and then the athletic representative follows up with that person the next day. But the data isn't good enough where you see that that call had been made, right? And then the donor gets annoyed. Or that 
you know, you're trying to send out a solicitation and the data itself is not good, you get X number of bounce backs, right? So unfortunately, I think this gains steam and traction because of maybe some underlying issues with our existing data. And those got recognized at certain levels of the university that led to a great deal of buy-in. Plus, when you frame analytics in this way, and this is how we chose to do it too, whenever we were looking at the additional investment that was necessary in the program, again, the, the ball got rolling sort of down the hill because of some of these issues we saw, but then there was still that justification aspect that had to take place. And whenever you frame it this way, if we can improve our revenues by 1%, or we can reduce revenues by 1%, and you compare that to what the additional investment in the program was, it wasn't even close. That 1% far exceeded the investment we were requesting. Now, the only issue that it becomes a little bit of a challenge is tying the return to the analytics program itself, right? So certainly our fundraisers having better data whenever they're going out to talk to a person may lead to an additional gift, but can it be directly tied to that? Sometimes that becomes a challenge, right? So that's the one piece. And Richard and I actually talked to a number of folks uh, across the country as we were looking to present to our leadership about the investment that needed to be made in analytics. And that was one of the challenges we faced was quantifying the ROI and having improved revenues or reduced expenses being the direct byproduct of analytics. It's not always gonna necessarily be a one-to-one correlation or a direct enough correlation that you can directly associate one with the other. So I think that's why we chose to frame it in if we can influence our revenues and our expenses by just 1%, which is not a big number, right? This program will more than pay for itself. So that's how we chose to proceed. So Ryan, when you talk about you know, the 1% on, on revenue and 1% savings on expenditures, you know, that gives you a, a much more, I guess, internal looking view on how to present yourself and, and the investment and the ROI. I'm interested when you talk to all those individuals that you just mentioned outside of it, you know, some of the other organizations, universities that are embarking on this journey, where would you put yourself with regards to your competitive advantage in this? Are you just getting started and you need to play catch up? Are you ahead of the game? I'm getting the feeling that it's relatively new for everyone and you're probably right in the middle of the pack with the leaders, but maybe five years from now, this is going to be table stakes. So, you know, maybe I'll turn to Richard. Richard, help me. Where do you think you stand in this journey compared to the competitive advantage? Yeah, I would say much like you said there, college athletics as a whole, analytics relatively new. Some schools and institutions have been doing it for a longer period of time. I look out to some of my peers on the West Coast in the Pac-12 who've had an analytics team at the conference level for quite some time. But for for many of us, this is a new venture or something that has come in kind of on and off, kind of as the wind blows, as certain projects come through. But wholeheartedly, I expect us to get very similar to what the professional realm looks like, where this is an actual department within the org. Um, a standalone department. And, you know, we don't have a couple people, you know, all over the the athletics department in marketing, uh, you know, somebody doing this for half the time in ticket sales, somebody doing this for half the time. Um, I, I fully expect this will be 
in the, in five years from now, this will be a standalone department that is sort of a must have. And I would even turn to smaller schools talking about D3, D2, D3, NAIA. I'm an NAIA grad, actually. Thinking about those schools, they're going to have this as well. This isn't just a luxury thing. You can make a good use of analytics, even from an efficiency standpoint. Want people to think about how often people on their staffs are just moving numbers around or turning paper into Excel files or, or doing any of that, just moving data from one bucket to another. Analytics can help there. Integrations can help there. And you can start having those folks commit time to doing analysis and think about strategy, think about ways to make use of that information. So I think everybody's going to do it. But right now, college athletics in particular, it's an evolving area for sure. And Dave, if I could just add on to that, I think what Richard alluded to earlier in the call, uh, the organization cap that he spoke to, the fact that that didn't exist, right, speaks to where the industry stands as it relates to analytics as a field. It is very much an emerging type of area. And certainly at Pitt, we're very blessed to have Richard here spearheading our efforts. You know, but there are a number of programs that are ahead of us in certain respects, but I also think we're also ahead of a number of others. So it's a neat area to be in. It's fun to build something and it's fun to be in an area where you're not necessarily regurgitating what something someone else did. You have the ability to chart your own course. And I think that's what excites both of us so much about our day-to-day. All right, guys. So this this is fascinating. I think it it's really a game changer for a lot of organizations to be able to have this information. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things today on this call, all very interesting. I think the one thing that I I I probably like to just touch on before we close is there has to be people there saying to themselves, "This is nonsense." I could I you know this data is killing me. I got I got data coming in all over the place. I mean, just let me. Let me do my job. And I'm particularly interested in regards to the adoption of the coaches. Are, do they see this as a game changer or do they think this is a lot of nonsense that you guys are drumming up? Help me out, Richard. I, I would say that is a, a critical challenge for analytics in any industry is how do you communicate you know, what you found or the tool you built to the user. You have to keep their user experience in mind when you set off on the project. If you don't, you're going to make something that you as the IT professional, you view this project through your lens and you go, well, that looks great to me. I'd use this every day, but you're not a coach. And the thing that I try to do is reference things outside of, you know, our work environment. So thinking about financial, I, the example I always give is, do you want the checkbook or do you like that, that mobile app that you have from your bank? And if you like the mobile app better, because it does all the math for you, which mobile app do you like and what features do you like about it? There's no reason you can't build a tool that mirrors that same experience. So it does not have to be a dry, you know, boring application, something that's laborious for you to get in and even use the thing. It, it can be simple. Uh, and that you have to put on your design hat as an analytics person there, but that's an important skill as well as making sure the user really enjoys using the application. Otherwise, you're going to build a tool that you think is great. Nobody's going to use it. That's not good for either party. You, you handled that question very politically correct, and I appreciate that, Ryan. So, and I get it. Like, I, 
I get on some of these these cardio devices, and within two minutes, trying to figure out that panel and that that I can't, I just jump off. I say I can't even get a workout. I don't know how to work this thing. I jump on my assault bike that gives me two meters of reading, and I'm having a great time. Right, so there's a balance in there somewhere. Guys, this was fascinating information. What if anything that we not covered today? Ryan, any closing comments for our listeners? No, I mean, I think Richard hit the nail on the head. I just only want to build off of his last comment. And I think it's a really important one is, you know, adoption is critical too. And we talked about buy-in. We talked about generating support for all of these things. But Richard's last comment is pretty powerful. It's about the end user. And, you know, you can design something with all the bells and whistles that you want, but if there's no practical application to it or people don't find it to be user friendly or they're not they're not going to take advantage of the data that they have right and the en- enhanced tools that they have so that's one thing that i have a great deal of respect for richard is that he takes the time to understand the end user's perspective he takes time to understand what their value proposition really is more than just data it's it's making sure that people are actually using the data that it's correct that it's accurate that it makes sense to them so that they can make the appropriate decisions based on that. So again, we've talked a lot about building a program, but that's also one of the foundational pieces as well. Gentlemen, I appreciate your time today. A great conversation. I know our listeners will really enjoy it. We'll make sure that we uh, link in the show notes, the reference to CAP. I think it's important that people know and see what's going on with that association and, and how you're building that out. I think it's a great resource. And thank you to our listeners. We'd love to get your feedback on how today's conversation went and certainly encourage everyone to subscribe to our Higher Ed Advisor podcast. Make sure that you continually get updates on new episodes that will be coming out on a regular basis. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly U.S., wherever you get your podcast.